Well, here we are, and welcome back to the Archaeology News from Stone Pages and British Archaeological Jobs and Resources. Yes, you guessed it, that's me, David Connolly. All these stories have been collected from various sources, and to view the details on each story, including that all-important source, well, you'll just have to go along to the Stone Pages website at news.stonepages.com. And before I get started for uh, this week, I'd just like to wish a very happy belated birthday to Stu Rapley, the, the fabulous uh, founder and guiding hand for the Facebook archaeology page. It's uh, one of the, the best that you'll find on Facebook. So, happy belated birthday. He's only 97. You'd never guess it by looking at him. Anyway... Let's get to the proper news, where we have news of an ancient palace, could be, being discovered in Turkey. 6,000 years of occupation is uncovered in the Alsace region in France, and a dig reveals prehistoric secrets in Cambridge. Sounds exciting. Next one is a a strange one, is a donkey sanctuary. Yes, I said it, a donkey sanctuary is threatening a Bronze Age site in Ireland. Sounds bizarre. Study uh, seems to be solving a 3,000 year old mystery with pollen, and the Armingham Henge is put into space and time. Preparing for death in Bronze Age Scotland. Are you ready? Well, I certainly haven't. And finally, we're, well, not finally, actually, we've got another couple of stories. Uh, there's one about uh, Stone Age Norwegian quarries, uh, church quarries, that is, and how they were using fire to uh, actually extract it and quarry it. Finally, and now this is definitely finally, a spear point is raising a question about human arrivals in North America. So it's going to be an exciting uh, week this week. So without further ado, let's go to a lovely warm turkey. Kultepe, a large archaeological site in the Kayseri province of central Turkey, was first identified in the 19th century, but serious excavation didn't actually begin until 1925. There's a fascinating fact for you. When actually over a thousand cuneiform tablets were discovered there. Now that is a fascinating fact. A major excavation began in 1948, carried out by a team from the Turkish Historical Society and the General Directorate of Antiquities and Museums, led by Tassin Ozguc, arguably the most famous Turkish field archaeologist. These excavations uncovered four major phases of occupation, dating from 2,500 BCE onwards. Now, in 2013, the outline of a large building is slowly being uncovered. The full extent of the building can only be guessed at at this early stage, but already it appears to be too large to be a private house and may represent a royal or major administrative building dating back over 4,000 years. I think that's one that we're going to be hearing more about in 2014. Now to France, in fact in the Alsace region of northeast France, as part of a requirement for planning on a new development, INRAP, that fabulous French National Institute of Preventative Archaeological Research, have made some exciting discoveries. The most recent one, dating from approximately 150 BCE, is the remains of a Gallic farm, with several personal artefacts and jewellery, identifying the importance and wealth of the farmer who lived there 2,000 years ago. However, if we move a little bit more up to date, well, not that much up to date, between 450 to 350 CE in the Merovingian period, 
they have found further exciting artefacts, including an example of the practice of deliberate head distortion. It's now believed that this elite social group compressed the skull out of shape from an early age, enabling themselves to be easily identified. This practice was not a local one, however, and identified with the Huns from Central Asia. It's evidence of the migration of these eastern communities towards the end of the Roman Empire. Possibly the most exciting discovery so far, however, is of a relatively small Neolithic necropolis dating from approximately 4,750 BCE. Its importance lies in the fact that it marks a transition from the larger Danubian burial grounds to the smaller groups, adding good data to a very poorly documented period. That's quite an exciting one, that. Now to Cambridgeshire, where a huge archaeological dig, and I honestly mean it is a huge archaeological dig on the edge of Cambridgeshire, has been uncovering evidence of people living in the area in prehistoric times. In what's been described as the largest single excavation ever undertaken in the city, experts have uncovered traces of field systems, enclosures and settlements dating back to the Middle Bronze Age. Then what's really good about this is it's not just looking at a single site or even a single house. It's actually looking at the landscape that the people lived in, which is a refreshing thought. Anyway, finds include, surprise, surprise, pottery and metalwork, among them a bronze spearhead and a variety of human remains as well, including skulls. The excavation has been taking place on the site of Cambridgeshire's new housing settlement, led by a team from Oxford Archaeology East. In fact, more than a 100 archaeologists have been involved. Archaeologist Richard Mortimer said that crop mark analysis in a previous survey at the site has suggested that archaeology would be present. But the site has now thrown up far more extensive and unusual remains than expected. It's undoubtedly proved to be one of the best sites in the south of England so far and is fundamental to our understanding of prehistoric activity, especially in this Bronze Age period in the Cambridgeshire area. And now the one that I was chuckling about a little bit before. Donkey Sanctuary threatens Bronze Age sites. I, I have pictures in my head. But anyway, let's, let's keep going. Kerry County Council has confirmed it's given the go-ahead for a donkey sanctuary and roadway now under construction in a unique Bronze Age valley near the Connor Pass, the highest mountain pass in Ireland, which actually contains dozens of archaeological monuments. The council said it had made its ruling based on the information that it was given. However, no archaeological survey was actually carried out by the council. So, to be honest, in fact, it wasn't actually basing it on any information that it wasn't given. The proposed donkey sanctuary turns out to be within an archaeological complex of recorded monuments, and this is causing, shall we say, some concern. Archaeologists from the National Monument Service and Department of Arts, Heritage and the Gaeltacht are on their way amid concerns the development may be just a little bit too close to large burnt mound, which is a Bronze Age cooking pit sort of debutage. It's uh, the heated stones that were used to... Uh, boil the water, and other archaeological monuments as well, including 12 kilometres of field walls dating back to the Bronze Age. If you would like to know more, a little a little bit more at least about uh, burnt mounds, have a look at a story on Past Horizons, which has uh, got a fabulous story from the site of Kames in uh, Northumberland. The mound itself really should only be seen as the dump from the activity 
that's surrounding it. So there's a lot of activity happening elsewhere beyond the burnt mound. Anyway, more than half a kilometre of roadway has so far been constructed and work has begun on the donkey sanctuary itself. An initial inspection of the site has been undertaken by the council's planning staff and the county archaeologists to determine if the development is being carried out in accordance with the exemption notice. Mm, that's something we want to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm sure that uh, it'll all work out in the end. Now, pollen grains are one of the most durable organic materials in nature, best preserved in lakes and deserts and lasting thousands of years. Each plant produces its own distinct pollen form, like a fingerprint. Extracting and analysing pollen grains now allows the researchers to identify the vegetation that grew in the area and then reconstruct climate changes. Understanding climate is key to understanding history, so says Professor Finkelstein of the Institute of Archaeology at Tel Aviv University. Experts have long pondered the cause of the crisis that led to the fall of the Middle East civilizations in the late Bronze Age and now believe it was drought that led to the collapse more than 3,200 years ago. As a result of this climate change in a short period of time, the entire world of the Bronze Age crumbled, so explains Professor Finkelstein. High-resolution analysis of pollen grains taken from sediment beneath the Sea of Galilee and the western shore of the Dead Sea, coupled with radiocarbon dating, has pinpointed the period of crisis to the years of 1250 to 1100 BCE. Recent studies of pollen grains conducted by experts in southeast Anatolia, Cyprus along the north coast of Syria and the Nile Delta have all come up with similar results, indicating that this crisis was regional, not just local. The results show a sharp decrease in the late Bronze Age of Mediterranean trees like uh, oaks, pines and carobs, and in the local cultivation of olive trees as well, which the experts interpret as a consequence of repeated periods of drought. The study also draws on the case study of another regional collapse 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, to explain why, unlike in the steppe regions, a decrease in precipitation would have such a destructive effect on established city-states in green areas like Megiddo. The droughts were probably exacerbated by cold spells causing famine and the movement of south. Now to the Arming Hall Henge. It's one of East Anglia's most significant prehistoric field monuments. It lies near the confluence of two rivers, less than four kilometres south of Norwich in England. It's also the focus of a larger group of monuments, mainly dated to the Bronze Age. Two almost circular ditches define the henge. The inner is larger and has a gap towards the southwest, while the outer may have had a similar gap. There was a suggestion of a bank about two metres high between the two. Within the inner ditch was a setting of large wooden posts arranged in a horseshoe, also opening to the southwest. Because the henge is so low, one can see hills from it. The most prominent is Chapel Hill, which lies southwest of the monument on the end of a spur between the two rivers. Virtual reality reconstruction shows that in 5000 BP, the disk of the setting midwinter sun would have seemed to pass down the northern side of Chapel Hill and be eaten by the angle between it and the far horizon. At the foot of the northern side of Chapel Hill lies another feature with a double circular ditch. This may well have been another hend, 
Henge positioned so that a midsummer sunrise event was visible to the northeast over the hill on the south side of the valley. The situation of other similar monuments might be explored in the same way. Seahenge might in fact be part of a group of monuments from which the most prominent headland in northwest Norfolk could have been visible in the direction of the setting midwinter sun. I have to say that I'm actually getting very, very into archaeoastronomy just now under the kind guidance uh, and forbearance of Dougie Scott. So if you're listening there, Dougie, it is not all wasted on me. Now, staying in Scotland for myself, the discovery of three kists in southwest Scotland in close proximity to one another has intrigued archaeologists there. One contained the burial of a juvenile, while the other two had never actually been used for the burial of human remains. There's no artefacts present with the burial and no evidence of even any botanical offerings. That's leaves to you and I, and flowers. The dead juvenile had been placed in a crouched position, facing north with its head resting on the left hand and the right hand placed near the pelvis. The skeletal remains were analysed and the age estimation at around 9 to 12 years old, too young unfortunately to determine the sex. Although the cause of death is unknown, it was noted that the child had already suffered at least two episodes of malnutrition. Radiocarbon dating placed the individual in the early Bronze Age. Warren Bailey, who led the archaeological team, said that perhaps this was a conscious attempt by a family or a group related to the individual who was buried there to set aside graves in the immediate vicinity for future use. This may represent rare evidence of the possible movement of groups and the loss or abandonment of ritual sites in an otherwise fairly settled landscape during the Bronze Age period. Jennifer Brown, one of the contributors to the report, notes that this work also shows that we cannot assume that the construction of a kist, that's a stone box I should have said earlier, um, when we discover the necessary components for the burial, the, the stone box, but find nothing in it, doesn't mean that the body is long gone. It might actually mean that there was never a body there in the first place. Now, a rather interesting uh, story uh, from Norway, how to quarry your flint, or your chert in this case. Extraction marks at the Melsvik Stone Age chert quarry near Alta in northern Norway are difficult to explain by any other ancient technique other than fire setting. University Museum of Tromsø experimented with this method, where small controlled bonfires are enough to create shear stress and cracking. High temperatures greatly reduce the quality, however, of chert for tool making. The quarries are the most important discovery in northern Norway so far, and may date to the so-called pioneer phase, which was around about 9,500 BCE, not long after the last ice sheet had actually retreated. The quarries were particularly in use in the early Middle Mesolithic, that's 78,000 BCE, providing material for knives, arrowheads, scrapers and so on. The chert deposit is situated on a small hill, forming layers usually less than half a metre thick above and within Precambrian Dolomite. This peculiar geology, where chert is often draped around dissolving dolomite or karst, often leaves hollows between the two. This can be tested by banging the chert with big stones. The feeling is that they come back to you, and breaking bigger pieces loose with such brutal technique is actually out of the question. 
Chair is extremely hard, compact and tough, making it almost impossible to extract by using hammer stones and bone and stone wedges. Repeated blows, what you usually get is just a pulverised stone unsuitable for tool making, so Stone Age man had to employ a more efficient technique. So looking at the level or slightly sloping excavated quarry faces, there are probably 50 or more round, shallow depressions, measuring about 1 metre to even 50 centimetres across. They're convex at the bottom, a strong indicator that fire was used in their creation. In addition, beside and below zones of such depressions are thick layers of broken up chert, all with sharp edges, but without traces of man-made working. Such layers actually represent the waste from fire setting. The natural colour of the chart ranges from a shiny greyish white to bluish and purplish. It becomes only dull white upon exposure to fire above three to four hundred degrees centigrade, a result of micro-cracking which alters the light reflection properties within. Researchers set out to replicate this method of um, fire setting. They use birch wood for burning through uh, they also actually used pine and Mount Nash as well. They used hammer stones, stone wedges, and even fire-hardened bone and antler wedges of all different sizes in an, uh, an attempt to remove the cracked stone. In total, five experiments were carried out, and each one was in fact successful. Each fire had a diameter of about half a metre. Two or more fires beside each other worked best where the rock was under significant natural tension, creating shear stress in the area between and keeping the temperature low. It took only five to ten minutes to start the chert breaking at the surface and 45 minutes to create deep lateral cracks that were more than 15 centimetres deep. The temperature beneath the central fire reached 400 to 500 degrees after 20 minutes. After the initial surface cracking, the chair typically developed parallel lateral cracks further down, breaking loose flakes with a thickness of 3 to 5 centimetres, weighing from a few hundred grams to a kilo or more. In one experiment, it was in fact possible to break loose a block weighing 30 kilograms with a maximum thickness of 15 centimetres. In cases where the rock was under significant natural tension, cracking sounded like making popcorn with small chart fragments jumping up to two metres in the air. The formation of deeper cracks was followed by lengthy cracks as tension was released. Ooh, I felt that myself. It's actually worth having a look at um, Past Horizons where you'll see this uh, article, um, this fabulous video of this happening. Unbelievable to watch. Removal of flakes and blocks was undertaken using stone and bone antler tools and it worked excellently with a little hammering here and a simple wedge there. Clearly the uppermost cracked stones were totally unusable for tool making. However, deeper layers exposed to temperatures of only between 100 to 200 degrees seemed perfectly suitable for making the small tools found during Mesolithic uh, site excavation. Forms of the fire set surfaces greatly resemble the old ones that are lying around the, the quarry, these circular depressions. And waste from the experiments again resembles that which is found in the old waste heaps. Crucial indications that it was fire settings that were used at Melsvik Church Quarry nearly 10,000 years ago. Now we end with... Uh, 
good old questions about humans in North America. Um, almost as favourite for me as uh, a Stonehenge story. The late Pleistocene dispersal of Homo sapiens across the Americas is in fact one of the greatest chapters in the history of our species, but major questions remain unanswered. A new paper co-written by members of a team of researchers associated with the Centre for the Study of the First Americans, CSFA, notes that the two contentious issues are the timing of colonisation of the Bering Land Bridge and the origin of the Clovis culture, known for its fluted spear points. Clovis represents the earliest unequivocal complex of archaeological sites in temperate North America. <clears throat> well, don't, don't get me started on that. Don't get me started. I know what they're saying. It's the, it's the earliest that uh, really there's no argument about. Um, but shall we say, I think, uh, come back to me in a few years' time, and that's going to be very, very different. The 2005 discovery of fluted spear points in northwest Alaska strongly suggests that early humans carrying Clovis technology lived on the central Bering Land Bridge about 12,000 years ago. One hypothesis holds a spear point fluting technology emerged on the land bridge and was carried southward. Fluted points have long been known from Alaska, yet have never been found in a datable context. A new site at Serpentine Hot Springs contains fluted points dating to no earlier than 12,400 BP, suggesting Alaska's fluted point complex is in fact too young to be ancestral to Clovis, instead representing either a south-to-north dispersal or transmission of fluting technology. Texas A&M University Professor of Anthropology Ted Goble says the evidence from Serpentine supports the second theory that either Paleo-Indian people or technologies were moving in a reverse migration pattern from south to north, or more specifically from the high plains of central Canada in a northerly direction into Alaska. Not all of Beringia's early residents may have come from Siberia, as we have traditionally thought, he notes. Some may have actually come from America instead, although millennia after the initial migration across the land bridge from Asia. If the fluted points do not represent a human migration, they at least indicate the surprisingly early spread of American technology into the Arctic Alaska. Humans carried tools made of volcanic glass called obsidian to the site from nearly 300 miles inland in central Alaska. Nonetheless, fluted points have yet to be found in Russia. By 12,000 years ago, the land bridge had become swamped by rising seas. Anyway, there was a a pregnant pause there as I I pondered what was being said there. Um, If you want to see a lot more news then pop along to the good old Past Horizons, pasthorizonspr.com. And, of course, you can always buy the lovely, lovely archaeological tools. What's stopping you? Pasthorizonstools.com. Can I also remind you that many new archaeological and heritage employment opportunities, as well as the UK Heritage Calendar, Library, Guidance Section, you name it, can all be found on Badger. That's www.bajr.org. And more can always be found at Stone Pages. That's news.stonepages.com. So thank you so much for listening again to this Archaeology News. We hope you'll return again to us. Guess what? Next week. Mm-hmm.